So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going through the Bible. We find ourselves in 2 Thessalonians, ah, 1 Thessalonians. Um, and the title of our message today is How to Do Ministry. That title can be How to Do Life, How to Do Waking Hours, How to Do 24-7, How to Do Everything That You Do. So, How to Do Ministry is the title of the message, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to go through verses 1 through 20, the entire chapter. We just uh, wrapped up 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 last week, and so we're moving on. Father, we ask your blessing upon this time that we have in your word. We pray, Lord, that you would minister your truth to us. We thank you for the example of Paul the Apostle, Lord, is just reckless abandon in serving you in obeying you and and following after you. And so, Lord, we have so much to learn from just the scriptures as he comes in contact with people and how you want to use us, Lord, as we come in contact with people. And we have an opportunity, Lord, to be your light in this dark world. Lord, as we have an opportunity to represent you and bring this message that can transform lives to individuals that we come in contact with. And so thank you so much for just uh, your word And I pray that you would open up our eyes, open up our ears to hear what your spirit says to the church this morning in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, amen. Amen. So how to do ministry. Paul the Apostle in Acts chapter 16 and 19 is coming out of the church at Philippi. He's ministering to these individuals and he's thrown into the Philippian jail. From there, you see this individual Um, He would go to Thessalonica, he would minister there, and he would be kicked out of the city as well. And so he had a lot of enemies, people that didn't like what he was sharing, people that didn't uh, want that message to be proclaimed. And so um, he would even go into Lystra, and Lystra he would be beaten and left for dead, dragged out of the city. The next morning he would wake up and go into the city of Lystra where they just beat him. How do you stop a man like that? Throw him in prison, right? Throw him in prison. And what does he do while he's in prison? He writes epistles that we call the Bible. He's writing Thessalonians from a prison cell. He's writing um, Ephesians, right, from jail. He's writing Colossians from jail, from prison. So you don't stop an individual like that because he's passionate about his God. He was on his way to Damascus ready to kill Christians. He is arrested, stopped, halted by Jesus. Jesus knocks him down and blinds him. He takes his vision away from him. And Jesus speaks to him. And Paul utters out, Lord, who are you? And he says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And so for a period of days, he would be blind. And Jesus would send an individual to him to tell him basically what's going to happen in his life. And from that point on, you see this passion that was against God, but he thought he was right with God. It's turned around in the right direction, and you just see the same passion to serve God. And so how to do ministry, Paul is a very good example of that. And, and the reason I said it can be titled How to Do Anything Else in Life is because maybe we're not all involved in full-time ministry, but for the Christian, there is nothing secular about our life. So I might not work in the church. I may even be retired. That doesn't matter. I have waking hours of my life. And what I do in those waking hours, God wants to redeem. 
God wants to use for his glory so that others can be affected with this message of the gospel. And so let's read it. We're going to read through the entire 20 verses. And then what I'll do is I'm going to make uh, seven points that I saw on how to do ministry. And then we'll be done. So we're going to read through the whole chapter 2 in 1 Thessalonians. The Bible says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. For our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak. Not as pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of, for covetousness. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children, so affectionately longing for you. We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become dear to us. For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preached to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and God also, how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the churches of God, which are in Judea, in Christ Jesus. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen, just as they did from the Judeans, who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets, and have persecuted us. And they do not please God, and are contrary to all men, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as also to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them, to the uttermost. But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. And so from this chapter, as we're developing what Paul is doing, we were told again in Acts 16 and 17, and I think it's 17 specifically, where Paul visits Thessalonica, the city, and it says that he's there for three weeks, three Sabbaths. So on three Saturdays in a row, he would meet with them. So it's understood that he's probably there for about a month, four weeks in totality, a short time to be with a group. In that time, he was able to share a lot of things with them, but a lot of questions had been raised as well. And so he comes here now in chapter 2 on the heels of chapter 1, where you're just seeing this idea of how he spent his time with them. 
And so again, I'm pulling seven things that I got out of this chapter. I'm sure you could find 20 or maybe some of you find five. I don't know. But it's just things that kind of stood out on how to do ministry, how to do life. No matter what you're doing, no matter what, um, whether you're in school, whether you have a job, whether you're retired, whether you um, are at home, a homemaker, whatever you're doing, God wants you to be influential in the lives that you come in contact with. God wants you to plant seeds in those people's lives. God has more for you than whatever it is you think your life is supposed to be about and just making your life as comfortable as it needs to be. And we're living in a a world that is changing, changing, changing drastically. The political horizon is scary to me as I look on the horizon of what's taking place in the hearts of the majority in our culture. And so in the midst of that, God has, if you will, his children planted in strategic locations for the purpose of being light. Simple as that. Planting seeds of the gospel. Watering seeds that have been planted in people's lives. God's responsible for the whole work. God's overseeing it. God's not saying that if you don't share with somebody, somebody's going to go to hell. That's not what God's saying. But God is saying that as my children are throughout the world, I want them to plant seeds in people's lives, in their hearts, of my love and my truth, my plan for their lives. And I also want people to water seeds that have already been planted. And so that comes through your conduct. That comes through your behavior. That comes through a purposeful, mindful, deliberate. You can't default to this. Well, I'm a Christian, and I'm just going gonna, gonna to be light in people's life, and, and hopefully, you know, I'll just never say anything as long as I live, and maybe they'll get it. Maybe they will, but they probably won't. And we don't see that with Paul. We don't see Paul going on his missionary journeys from city to city and just, hey, guys, you, know, you want to play tennis? And just never talk to them. I mean, you know, he's purposeful. He's deliberate. He's not overbearing. He's not annoying. But at the same time, he's useful in the hands of his creator. He is a vessel of honor that God can pour in him and then through him. Number one, we need to start with the end in mind. Notice verse 19 and 20, the end of the chapter. We need to start with the end in mind. In verse 19, the Bible says, uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 19, the Bible says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. What is he saying? He's saying Jesus is coming back. Because Jesus is coming back, how should I be living? I should be sharing with these Thessalonians because Jesus is coming back. And that's my joy. And that's my glory. You in the presence of God at his coming. Me pouring into you and into your life and then you receiving the gospel, being Christians, and now going to heaven where you are on your way to hell. That's my joy. I'm living with the end in mind. Jesus is coming back. In every single chapter in 1 Thessalonians, every single chapter, there's five, he ends each chapter with the coming of Jesus Christ. Do you believe that Jesus is coming back? Okay. Jesus' second coming has two components to it. One of them will be the rapture of the church where the church is taken out of the earth. The second one will be we will come back in the clouds with the Lord and um, that will be the second coming where every eye will see 
and um, every knee will bow, every tongue confess. Okay? So in those two components, what do you believe about the rapture of the church? Do you believe that God will come at the beginning of the tribulation period, in the middle of the tribulation, or at the end of the tribulation? The only viable way that I think you can live differently is if you believe that Jesus can come back at any time. It's called the imminent return of Christ. The imminent return. He could come back at any minute. And that's that concept of Jesus coming back as a thief in the night. No one knows the hour. No one knows the day. Jesus said it himself. Of the hour and the time that the Son of Man will come back, no one knows that day or the hour. And so what we believe should affect how we live. In chapter 1, verse 10, he mentions this. In chapter 2, 19 and 20, I just read it to you. In chapter 3, verse 11 through 13. In chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. And in chapter 5, verses 23 through 24, he mentions the coming of the Lord. He mentions the rapture of the church. And so there was something there that Paul understood about the coming of the Lord that caused him to live differently. So we as well should do the same. Point number two. Number one, start with the end in mind. Number two, you have to be motivated by the right thing. You have to be motivated by the right thing. In verse one, it says, For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. You need to know that Us coming to you to share the gospel, to present this truth to you, it was not in vain. Even though I have all of these enemies, even though I have all these people that want me dead, even though I have all of these people that are doing these things to discount my message, to discredit my message, it's not in vain. It's not empty because God is keeping a good record. I'm mindful of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58. The Bible says, be steadfast and movable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. We don't have scriptures there, Benjamin. There we go. Okay. So my labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now here's, I don't know where this came from, but everything you do as a Christian, you've, you've, come out of the kingdom of darkness and you've come into now this kingdom of light, everything you do, everything that you do is now sacred. There is no secular sacred divide for you. There is no, wow, you know, I got my entertainment thing over here and, and then I got this work thing and oh my gosh, it's like I might as well be in hell, you know what I'm saying? Because my work, man, my job, my people at work. and No, there is nothing that the Christian does that is secular, that is... Um, ungodly or, or, or not divine. Everything that you do, everything that you touch, every conversation that you have is ministry. Your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not empty. Every work that you do is unto God. It's for God. What's compelling you? What's your driving force? Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14 and 15. Powerful two scriptures. This has to be your motivation. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Jesus died so that we can live for him. So that what we do is for him. We'll never be sorry on the other side of eternity. We'll never um, 
we'll never be sorry when we get to heaven and we realize, wow, I really did do it as unto him. Remember when we were going through Colossians? Two different scriptures, it said, and everything you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord. Not unto men. We work as unto the Lord. We play as unto the Lord. We entertain as unto the Lord. Everything that we do is as unto the Lord. And so my motivation, Paul's motivation is, I was going to hell. I was killing Christians. I was doing bad things in the name of religion. I thought I was right. Jesus got a hold of me. His love compels me. It's, his, it's my driving force. It what, it's what gets me out of bed and causes me to do. It's what they do. When they beat me in Lystra and drag me out, it's what makes me want to go back into Lystra. How do you stop a man like that? How do you stop a man like that? You can't. You cannot stop somebody who's determined as long as I am alive, as long as I have breath, I'm going to share the love of Christ because his love compels me. It's my compelling force. So number one, start with the end of mine. Number two, you have to be motivated by the right thing, the love of Christ. Number three, endurance is the key. You can't quit. Endurance is the key. You can't quit. It may get hard. You may be misunderstood. People might come against you. You have enemies. Can't quit. Barclay, one of the commentaries, sees the following false charges against Paul um, evident from this chapter. In verse 2, he sees Paul has a police record and is therefore untrustworthy. In verse 3, Paul is delusional. In verse 3, Paul's ministry is based on impure, impure motives. And so these are all these false accusations that were made against Paul. In um, verse 3, Paul de- deliberately deceives others. In verse 4, Paul preaches to please others, not God. In verse 5 and 9, Paul's in ministry as a mercenary to get what he can out of it materially. In verse 6, Paul only wants personal glory. And in verse 7, Paul is something of a dictator. What does Paul do with all of that? All these false accusations, all these rumors, all these innuendos. He continues. He continues on. He calls God as his witness. As God is my witness. And he's faithful in what God has called him to. In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, It is required of stewards that one thing, and we are stewards of God, one thing, faithfulness. Faithful with what God has placed in front of you. He says, of myself, I don't even know there's something against me, yet I don't even, I don't even judge that. I'll let God judge that. And so with all of these accusations that came against him, even in that, he says, I got to keep going. I got to keep moving forward. I can't quit. So number three, endurance is key. You can't quit. Number four. Oh, let me read you a scripture. Hebrews 12, 3 and 4. And I think of Jesus as our ultimate example. Imagine if Jesus quit because it was hard. Imagine if Jesus like, oh my gosh, you're saying mean things about me. I'm just, I'm going to go home now. I don't want to do this anymore. No. Jesus endured. He showed us what perseverance is. Hebrews 12, 3 and 4. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself. Lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls... You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. We not only had a Savior who bled, but he bled out. He went to the end. He endured. He persevered. The only innocent man on the face of the planet. He endured as an example for us 
to endure. Number four, contrast in ministry means being led of the Holy Spirit. Notice the contrast between verses 7 and 11. One is mothering, one is fathering. Verse 7 says, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Notice verse 11. He says, As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. And so in one sense, um, where'd it go? Seven, gentle, nursing mom, cherishing. And yet in verse 11, exhorted, comforted, charged as a father. How are we going to know the contrast in ministry to be able to come at somebody with truth boldly where at other times we're going to have to come with truth gently? The only way we're going to know that is if the Holy Spirit is leading us. We don't have the wherewithal to know all that's going on in the hearts of people, in the minds of people, the struggles that they've had. A lot of times people who are tough on the outside, tough exterior, marshmallows on the inside. That's all a front. They're trying to protect. They're trying to... um, just, you know, have this facade of, I got it together, I've got it. And when it, the truth of the matter is just soft inside. They don't want to be vulnerable. They don't want to be hurt. They've been hurt. They don't want to be hurt again. So how do we know how to navigate through that? Where in one instance, Paul is being nurturing and tender like a mother. On another instance, here to this same group, he's being exhortive, exhortive as a father. He's, he's coming straight at them and giving them bold truth. The only way we're going to know that is if the Holy Spirit is leading us. Scripture in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, the Bible says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So how do we know when we need to inspire individuals, when we need to bring doctrine, when we need to bring reproof, when we need to bring correction, when we need to bring instruction for righteousness? You've got to be led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. You have to have a sensitivity to be able to, okay, Lord, what is it? Here's a good way to, to know as well. If you're talking to somebody and there's arrogance and pride and a hardness, they need the law. The law breaks up that fallow ground because the law proves everybody guilty. The, the law shows this perfect standard that none of us can attain to. And so when you're talking to somebody and there's just this arrogance and this pride, the law. But if you're talking to somebody and they're broken and, and they're remorseful and they recognize that they need help, then you bring grace. You share grace with individuals like that. And so the laws for the hard or the prideful and grace for those who are broken. And so, again, that's just a sensitivity to the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit lead you in that. Number four, contrast in ministry means being led by the Holy Spirit. Number five, don't get it twisted. It's the gospel that we've been entrusted with. The gospel is what we need to share. We can be nice. We can give people advice in their marriage, advice in their home, how to, how to care for their children, um, career goals, you know, what they should take as a major in college. We can talk to people about a lot of things, but unless we share the gospel... In verses 2, 4, 8, 9, Paul would mention the gospel in this chapter. 
over and over. What did he declare? What did he share with them? What did he give them? They weren't Paul's, you know, ways of understanding life. It was the gospel message. Romans chapter 116 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And so when we share with people, at some point we got to get down to sharing the gospel. We got to let them know that they are a sinner in need of a savior, that Jesus Christ lived the perfect life on their behalf that they could not live. If they've broken one of the commandments, the Bible declares they're guilty of all. And they will stand in their own righteousness or they will stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ when they stand before God. We will all stand before God and have to give an account. And we don't want to stand in our own righteousness. And so some, on some level, we've got to share the gospel with people. We can't just be nice to people and hope that they'll get it. There's this big thing of a social gospel going on where we're just going to make sure that we treat people nice, we're going to feed them if they're hungry, we're going to clothe them if they're naked, we're going to give them to drink if they're thirsty, and we'll never proclaim the message of the gospel to them. And all we're doing is fattening the sheep for the kill, or fattening the goats for the hell. They're not even sheep yet. They're goats. They don't belong to God. Just because we're being nice to them, and we feel good because we're being nice to them, that's not the gospel. The gospel is the cross, that Jesus Christ died on the cross for the sins of the world, and unless they receive that sacrifice into their life personally, they're destined to hell. Not popular. I understand that. People don't want to hear that today. It, it hurts my self-esteem. I understand that. It's not about your self-esteem. We're all sinners in need of a Savior. So it's the gospel that we've uh, been entrusted with. Number six, you have to share the word of God. Notice verse 13. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. The church in Thessalonica, Paul is saying, when I brought the word of God to you, you received it as it is, the word of God. How could they receive the word of God unless he was sharing the word of God. They received the word of God for what it was because he was sharing the word of God with them. And so we need to share the word of God with people. And again, we can give people advice on their marriages and how to raise children and all of these wonderful things, but we have to share the word of God with them. And the word of God has this incredible thing because it's alive, right? The Bible says in Hebrews that the word of God is like a two-edged sword. It's active, it's sharp, and it's alive. And it has this ability to penetrate the heart. And it divides between the intents and the motives of people. So when we share the word of God, the Holy Spirit takes it and he will bring it back to them. He will bring it back to them because it's a living word. Isaiah chapter 55 verses 8 through 11. The Bible says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven, and do not return there but water the earth, and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, 
So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. If you are rightly dividing the word of truth and sharing the, God's word in context, truthfully with people, God will continue to bring that back in the lives of people because he's taking his word and he's promising it shall not return to me void. It will accomplish what I purpose it. And so it's very important for us to know the word of God, of course, but and then to share it. So don't just share opinions. Don't just share thoughts. Definitely share the word, uh, the word of God. Finally, number seven, after, number one, start with the end of mine. Number two, endurance is the key. You can't quit. Number three, or you have to be motivated by the right thing was number two. Uh, love compels us. Number three, endurance is the key. You can't quit. Number four, contrast ministry means being led by the Holy Spirit. Number five, don't get it twisted. It's the gospel that we've been entrusted with. Number six, you have to share the word of God. Finally, number seven, build genuine, caring relationships with those who you serve. Notice verses 17 and 18. Paul writes, But we, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short time in the present, in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we wanted to come to you. Even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul developed a relationship with people in one month. And in that one month, his heart was connected to them. He longed to be with them. He wanted to connect back with them. He tried to go and see them again, but couldn't. And so for us, we need to build genuine, caring relationships with those who we serve. And I think we can do that one of two ways. We can wish certain people come into our lives, and those are the people that we'll minister to, we'll be a light to. Or we can just leave it up to God, and whoever comes into our life, we just love them. We develop a relationship with them. We share the, the, the truth and the love of God with them. And whether that's family, friends, neighbors, co-workers, uh, classmates, whoever, whoever's coming into our lives, we can leave it up to God and just say, Lord, whoever you bring me, I'm just going to love them. I'm going to try to develop a relationship. I'm going to try to be salt and light to them so that I can have an opportunity, a springboard to be able to one day plant a seed, water seeds that have been planted. I see a lot of people, like, they hold back. Oh, it's not the right people. It's not the right people right there. No, don't, don't talk. Don't talk to them. It's like, why do you do that? People are coming in your life. Use who God is bringing to you. And that way you don't have to force anything. That way you don't have to guess. Are these the ones? Lord, are these the ones? Not the ones? Okay. No, they're always the ones. Whoever is God is bringing. Whoever God has in your life, those are the people. And if you're not connected, get connected. If you're not desiring, Pray God change your heart to have a desire. The kingdom of God is not about, um, I don't know, all these ideas that we have in our minds of what it should be. The kingdom of God comes down to people. God cares about people. God cares about people. He loves people. As he looks in this world, he sees hurting people, struggling people, suffering people. And it's a trip because when we're struggling, when we're suffering, God's recipe for getting us out of that funk is connecting with people. I don't want to deal with people. I'm hurting. I'm suffering. I'm struggling. I just want to hide. I just want to turn inward. When I get sick, I have this, um, this thing where I just become apathetic. 
apathetic. Like the phrase in my head that happens over and over, it, I don't care. I don't care. I don't care about that. I don't care about that. I just, I don't care. And so this last few days with sickness, I would say it, and then I would say, Lord, I have to care. I need to care. And I would just ask the Lord, Lord, strengthen me because I don't care, but I know I have to care. I want to I touch people. I want to communicate with people. I don't want to be so in my funk. And all I want to do is curl up in a bed and, and kind of just in that ball in your bed and just blankets. But I had to work a couple days, and so you can come in contact with people, you know. If you're in your bed, then that's cool. You just not care. And there you are, not caring. But you have to care. So even when we're weak, man, if we call on God, he'll give us what we need in the moment that we need it. And we got to care. we got to care about the relationships that God has us in. And we have to care about what he wants to do in our hearts in the midst of that. And so be encouraged. I think Paul, again, just an individual, you know, Paul's at this, whoa, what an example. I think if we could just look to Paul as the example and then say, yeah, you know, okay, seven points. Man, if I could add two of those, woohoo! you know, I mean, I'm moving in the right direction because I ain't doing none of that. But, you know, we got, we got to start somewhere. We got to move in some direction. And so as I look at Paul, I see just this human being just phenomenal as, as a, a character of in, uh, an individual that was just so sold out for Christ and the cause of God. So build genuine, caring relationships with those who you serve. Last point. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for the example of Paul going into a city and being able to connect with people, and just the the different things that we're able to pick up, Lord, as we just study through a chapter and just see how he was able to be so effective in ministry and, and so used by you, Lord, and I pray that that would be our heart. We have to first be willing, Lord, to be used by you as your children. And so I pray that there would be a willingness. I pray that there would be a desire on our part, that we would want to see people go to heaven, Lord, that we would care about the things you care about, that our hearts would be broken about the things that break your heart. And so, Lord, thank you. Thank you for just the example of Paul and uh, the scriptures and how we can learn, Lord. All of us need to add something and maybe be careful with another thing that you're Uh, calling attention to and so strengthen us in these things lord and we just thank you so much for your word in jesus name amen